Welcome to the Dixie Polis Podcast. My name is Lucas. This is Neil. And I'm Travis. We're Southern men, be reconstructing the South. So our content's going to change up a little bit this year. Um, we we're, we've previously been going based off of specific topics and um, tried to set out some time before to really dive in and and uh, uh, the the change in content's going to be a lot more freeform, where uh, we're each going to take a week and talk about something that's been on our minds and hearts uh, in relation to our walk and our people. Um, and then we are going to continue the uh, Confederate veteran episodes as, as far as um, uh, once a month, we'll, we'll put, push one of those out, but we might change the format up a little bit. I think that's um, something we're discussing right now. So um, what we, we had to take a hiatus uh, from the podcast for a couple of months. I think all three of us have been pretty crazy busy over the holidays. Uh, so <clears throat> uh, we're going to reassess this year um, and talk about some things that we're looking forward to getting to uh, uh, during the year. So anyways, y'all go ahead. Stuff y'all want to do this year. <clears throat> Let me go first, Trev. Go ahead. I'm still looking at the Anglican website. Oh, gee. Do you know what uh, communion they're part of or association or whatever? I don't even know uh, how we do Gulf, things, man. Gulf Atlantic Diocese. Oh, they, they're I mean, ANA or A, you know, a, whatever it is. ACNA? Yeah. Yeah, they are soft. Man, that sucks. My, my church is all right. Uh, my diocese, not so much, you know. From what I understand, our bishop promised to never ordain women, and then he goes and ordains three. So it's <laughs> like, oh, it's like, cool. <laughs> but We uh, trust you now. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm always going to be, I'm always going to be skeptical. Well, and then, you know, the Lutherans go and publish the new uh, Concordia with a bunch of woke crap in it. And so it's like, man, if I, if I, if I ever had to, like, retreat to lutheranism it's like now it's like i'm skeptical of that now you know the beautiful so arms of the reformed baptist will welcome you back in with mercy and grace heck no. <laughs> under pope james white the third negative no. no 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 pope james whites <laughs> no nah, but anyway no. so so in terms of what i want to do this year uh i was thinking uh might try to copy the theology podcast uh, setup. How they take turns. Uh, each host has a particular pet subject they want to they want to touch on every week. Uh, but they tell the other guys heads up. You know, give them a heads up. That way they can get familiar with the topic if they're not already familiar with it. That way they don't go in. It's just one dude talking the whole time. Uh, so that'd be you know, e even if you guys like say I'm reading uh, Louis Marcos's book from Plato to Christ. I'm not saying you gotta, you guys gotta go read it, but if I come upon a particular chapter, you know, throughout the week, I'll text you or send you guys a message and go, hey, what do y'all think about this, that, and the other, and then you know, just kind of fills your head with ideas. And so, when it comes time to record, it's like, okay, boom, 
this is what we're talking about. It's like, oh yeah, you know, when you told me about this one thing, how, uh, I don't know, the reference in Second Peter about, or is it Second Peter? Man, I can't even think right now. About Jesus going to going to uh, going down to hell to preach to the captives that uh, Plato's cave kind of typified that moment. That's that's like one of my theories, you know. Something you know, just something we can explore later. Uh, being a theology nerd and philosophy nerd, but uh, there's there's other books I'd like to read and discuss, and just not necessarily the entire book, but chapters from each book you know uh like i just got i've never read it before i just got uh richard weaver's visions of order which is apparently that's a book i probably should have read before i read ideas have consequences but you know weaver being a preeminent southerner philosopher uh <clears throat> and platonist you know i figure we should get get some insights from him and talk about uh, much of the same things that he talked about that's pretty much lost now in conservative circles because let's face it conservatives have pretty much not conserved anything and when the paleoconservatives got kicked out of the GOP they have pretty much all faded into obscurity Pat Buchanan as you guys just saw you know he just retired from writing so who do we got left you know, what paleoconservatives do we got left writing uh, I can name a few and that's something we'll talk about in the future. But like, uh, obviously, our boy Stephen Wolf. Uh, you got some guys like uh, James Wood, uh, Timon Klein, Chase Davis, and various others that I would put in that category. I don't know if they put themselves in that category, but just some some hopefuls in the future that could uh, maybe uh, help revive. Uh, if not Southern culture, maybe greater traditionalist views, you know, from, from a Western perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think okay. I'm going to like, well, I think <laughs> like the new setup that we're going to, that we're going to try get moving forward. And that's because, you know, back before, back when Neil was AWOL, um, we, we, we would have to constantly try to pull out of thin air you know, some type of topic to keep the podcast like going. And I think if so, not, not all of them. I mean, most of the time we, we smash it out of the park, I think, but there was just some times where it just kind of flopped or at least it felt that way on my end. And, um, you know, I think if we, you know, have it kind of fresh and, you know, like, okay, I have two weeks to actually get a good topic ready. Then um, instead of trying to, you know, two people trying to do it every single week, um, and well, just... I was going to say, not. I don't want. I don't want y'all to think I'm. I'm saying we need to read books. Like read books, yes, at your leisure. But if you see a cool article that you think is relevant, uh, a tweet by, uh, you know, you know, Brandon Meeks or or somebody from a Southern perspective or whatever, if you see anything worth talking about, just keep it in your mind. You know, and when time comes, we'll, we'll discuss it and hash it out. I mean, <laughs> there's enough going on. We, we should have content, you know, in perpetuity. <laughs> you know, I don't, yeah. I don't want this to be because we're not highfalutin intellects. I mean, you got guys out here writing like 
2000 word blog articles with with 37 uh footnotes and that's that's how they want their podcast to go i've, I've heard some of these guys they sound like robots when they get on there hi welcome to our podcast today we're going to talk about blah 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 it's like dude but like i want to i want us to have fun be some levity you know cut up probably say things we shouldn't say go to church, <laughs> repent never do that my elder will give me a call. Hey, buddy, I think this humor is a little beyond the pale there. Yeah, my priest already told him about our podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's a good uh, southern boy. He's going to Luther because he'll be excommunicated here shortly. <laughs> he's a good southern boy, too. He, he comes from a small town in Tennessee, so, uh, so he can understand a lot of stuff we're, we're talking about. A lot of stuff we'll get into, and I got other friends who are more high church who don't even think you guys are even Christian. So, oh, <laughs> really? Okay. We don't think you're Christian either. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Is it it's a weird the naughty it's, words? Honestly, it's a weird world that I'm in, honestly. Like, <clears throat> because I am very much come, I come from a low church background. I mean, even though I was raised Roman Catholic for earliest parts of my life, my life, you know, I, um, I was raised in Wesleyan church, Baptist church. My, you know, my brother, uh, my cousin went to, uh, my cousin was my brother's pastor at a Methodist church. I mean, it wasn't until recently, well, the last few years, I started having convictions about uh, church history and views on the sacraments. And that's what, that's what changed me, but yeah, we'll I'll have we'll have a coming out episode eventually. Whenever, uh, yeah, like I said, I'm coming out of the vestry. <laughs> He's coming out. <laughs> but yeah, we'll have we'll have an episode. We'll we'll discuss those things. Maybe get in a heated debate about baptism or whatever. But you guys will be you guys will be happy with some of the propositions I got to state because I'm not my views on baptism are very much different from Presbyterians who would. You know, burn you guys at the stake or whatever. Yeah, during our um our conversations that we've had so far, uh, you know, a lot of the the criticisms I've had of Presbyterian covenant theology, um, while I don't necessarily agree with it, it would actually work in the framework that you were talking about. Of course, we'll get it we'll get into it later, but um, the Anglican position makes a lot more sense than the Presbyterian actually, and position. That's, and that's and that's the other thing. That's the other thing, man. It's it's. Uh, I don't know if you guys. I don't even know if I shared it on Facebook or not. Uh, I, I did share it on my Twitter. Uh, uh, one of my Twitter accounts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> about the about the eclectic concerns within the Church of England. How there's 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 too much revisionism, and too many different views. I'm like, well, that's a theme. That's a theme. All that's just a theme, in Western Christianity. Like. Yeah, yeah, our ortho, our ortho bros have some have some problems over there too, but we we have the most significant problem with with the eclecticism, and it's ridiculous, man. Like, just with an Anglicanism, you have people who whose views on the sacraments really aren't much different than Presbyterians, or or worse yet, worse than fundamentalist Baptists who just think we just do them just to do them. There are Anglicans that believe this. Like this, they don't mean anything. Just you're just there to. It's a formality. You just do it because of tradition. There's some Lutherans that think this too, even in the Missouri Synod. So it's like, 
it drives me nuts because it's like I want to say this is the Anglican position, because then I gotta like specify well historically this is the Anglican position, you know, or I gotta cite some specific theologian. This is what Hooker said. This is what Cranmer said. Yeah, you know, it sucks because that's just where we are in Christianity and Western Christianity, at least. I, I, like I said, I don't know a whole lot about the East. I do know that there's a lot of division out there. You got like several different patriarchs and popes, but we're talking about the West and specifically the South. I'm a Southern sectionalist at heart, as you guys are too, regionalist, whatever you want to call us. So we, we care specifically about our locale. And that's why, you know, I'm interested in connecting, you know, theologians uh, of, of our broader history to uh, bringing that to bear upon our communities. That's why I'm interested in our our philosophers, our our uh, our what do you call them? Uh, spokesman? That's what I'm looking for. Like our our artists, our our authors, yeah. our like all these people, like I, even if I don't like them, even if I don't like uh, Walt Whitman or uh, uh, Thoreau, like if I don't like these guys, I'm, I'm still going to talk about them, you know, uh, Mark Twain. I'm, I'm not a big Mark Twain fan, but I got to tell you, Huckle, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, that's solid work, man, you know. I prefer to call him Samuel Clemens and not Mark Twain, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah, George Orr. Who? George Orr. He was a, a, a artist from Biloxi. He did a lot of um, pottery. Oh. Uh, looks crazy, but you know he's he's from Biloxi. Yeah, it's funny. This I, I was, I'm just thinking uh, this episode we're doing right now is kind of like a Joe Rogan episode. We're not really yeah. there's stuff to talk about, but it's not like something worth harping on for an hour. <laughs> right. Yep. Um, in, well, in my opinion, I kind of like the way that you know, these long-form conversations actually happen, even if they don't have to be long. Like they can only be thirty to forty-five minutes, and you know, you still have a great conversation. Um, yeah, that, that's kind that's kind of what I envisioned to begin with, uh, but maybe a little bit more. Um, uh, what would the word atomized or yeah, ob objectionable? I don't really know what the word would be. We're ADIQ podcast here, folks. <laughs> yeah hey but Man, collectively he's, collectively he's we're at least 110 <laughs> yeah swamp rats over here can, uh, only contributing about 15 of those iq points fellas <laughs> uh, we don't blame you it's the water in mississippi now, hey listen that's hey. only in jackson everywhere else is just full of moss and iron now speaking of uh iqs did you guys ever see because I know you guys aren't on Twitter. Not enough as you should be. Uh, not as much as you should be. Um, did you guys ever see the typology of conservative Protestants? Like no. the, the little quadrant thing? Okay, you know how we got the quadrant that we use for politics? You got the, li yes. the libertarian right, libertarian left, uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, some guy named uh, John Garrett, I think is his name. I don't know. That's one of those fancy last names. I don't know how to pronounce Um uh, he created a similar graph of uh, you got the pluralist on the top left, the tweeds on the top right, patriots on the bottom left, and the pugilists on the bottom right. And uh, 
at the ends of these spectrums, like the the vertical spectrum at the very top, you got the bookish, and at the very bottom you got the blue collar. And on the horizontal axis, you got to the left the political the political modernists, and to the right the political anti-modernists, and that's going to determine where you're at on this quadrant. And it's pretty it's pretty uh, intriguing. I don't necessarily agree with agree with it. I think uh, I'm not a big fan of the. Uh, uh, I'm just not a big fan of the idea that pugilists. Those those would be guys like us, that we're uh, somehow not very bookish. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I do read a lot. I am an anti-modern uh, grug brain. We're definitely definitely anti-modern, but we're not grug we're not grug brains. Like I don't think we're like. Putting bookish in blue collar at polar opposites to me is the most asinine thing because, yeah, I know people. I know people who are very bookish, who read. Like my my dad is very bookish. He 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 reads like several books a week. Uh, he he doesn't have a blog. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't study at Cambridge or anything like that, or or, or write for a think tank. But he reads more than some of these self uh, self proclaimed tweeds, you know, and he's very much blue collar. Now he's not working right now because he's got he's recovering from cancer. But uh, but the idea that he would somehow that these things would be polar opposites is, is so is stupid to me. But anyway, I think it's it's something worth exploring. We'll talk about talk about later. Uh, the illiter they could use some illiter work on the alliteration. You get pluralists, patriots, pugilists, and I, there's got to be a word that starts. With P for for tweeds, uh, there's one that's probably inappropriate. I won't say. Uh, <laughs> Posh. Um, oh yeah, sure, that's it. Yeah, <clears throat> Poshy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, the it's just something worth exploring though, because it's 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 good to to kind of put people in categories. I think it's good. But I think at the same time, people have this perspective of Southerners that we're all just a bunch of dumb patriots. Those are the uh, those are the ones that automatically like you, you say Trump and they automatically think conservative hero, man. That guy's that guy's a conservative hero, man. I mean, yeah, I don't care if he if he's if he's for gays getting married and, you know, he. You know, he makes exceptions for abortion. He's a conservative hero, man. Yeah. I know he. I know he got that tranny up there, but he. Uh, he's still conservative, yeah. man. He wants low taxes, man. Low taxes. Yeah, these, these people. These people evaluate what conservatism is based on a very relative, very very relative benchmark, and that's another thing I'd like to get into. Like, Trump was a Trump is a Democrat from a decade ago. Two decades ago, but yes. Dude, whatever. Yeah, because I forget it's... <laughs> it's, <not. laughs> yeah. it's 2023, time buddy. Flies. Yeah, go on, time flies. But yeah, um, like... Watching videos... Watching videos, old videos of Joe, Joe Biden, it's like... These two guys... Like, I watched these two videos. Joe Biden back in like the early 90s and Donald Trump with like the last 15 or so years. And they're virtually saying the same things. I'm like, what the... What? Like, and this is yep. our "quote unquote" conservative hero, and I'm like, no. Well, so as I said um, this week, um, 
the 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 right isn't as right as the left used to be. And yeah, that's that, because I, the left used to be far more conservative than the right is today. You know, right, back, yeah, you know, back in the sixties, fifties, sixties, hell, probably even the seventies. You know, the the left would have been absolutely appalled at the fact of gay mirage. And, yeah. and now the right wingers are like, yeah, well, well, at least at least they're not diddling kids in school. Well, well, listen, yeah. man, I, I think that anybody can do whatever they want in their own house as long as they're not pushing it on nobody else. Yeah. Well, you guys How well has say, that worked out for you? You guys have heard me say, uh, it's not really a theory, it's just the way I've looked at this. Both parties used to be, I mean, if, if you go back far enough, I, I kind of agree with the theory that uh, Patrick Deneen was, I think he's the one that talked about this, where America has a liberal founding. Now, let's just get that, let's just get that straight from the get-go. They have a liberal founding, but it's not with that. And this is why I don't like juxtaposing liberal and conservative, because you can be a liberal conservative. You can be a conservative liberal. These aren't polar opposites. The difference is conservatism qua conservatism also isn't an ideology. It's, it's, it's a, uh, what's, what's the word I used before? It's an inclination, like based on culture, based on social mores, based on uh, ethical beliefs and religious beliefs. So early on, you know, you had someone like Edmund Burke <clears throat> trying to sway early American uh, you know, pre-war uh, Americans, trying to sway them, you know, don't rebel, you know, you shouldn't rebel. Uh, we can we can change things. There's a, there's a process. It takes time. We shouldn't be radicals because guess what? Guess what's not conservative is being a radical. What's not conservative is being a revolutionary, right? Um, but if we go back far enough, America started as a liberal nation. Now, granted, they were very conservative. They wanted to preserve certain social mores. Uh, that's another thing. I don't necessarily agree that America started off as a Christian nation. Not not once the con once the Constitution was ratified. I think we stopped being a Christian nation. And what I mean by that is we weren't. We were a collection of states who themselves were their own countries, who themselves had established churches, and they did. You know what I'm saying? Like North Carolina uh, was the, the Episcopal Church was the established church in North Carolina. Uh, in Massachusetts, it was Presbyterians, right? I'm not sure. Uh, I, I just know uh, Andrew Isker does a good job. Andrew Isker does a good job in his book on Christian nationalism explaining that at the very beginning. All these states had established churches. But what happened is once the Constitution was ratified, we began this progressive journey of essentially pulling back on Christian influence from the public square. Not just the public square, but from politics. So as time goes on, you know, there, there was no Republican Party. It was the Federalist and Anti-Federalist. And you can say, in essence, both had, compared to today, as compared to today, both parties were filled with conservatives, right? Even even when the Republican Party started, 
even though it had initially it had a bunch of radicals in it, it eventually got infiltrated by conservatives. Right? Eventually the Republican Party was infiltrated by conservatives, and eventually the Democrat Party, the conservatives were pushed out uh, over enough time. So there are no conservatives in the Democrat Party anymore. Uh, some say Sam Irvin Jr. was the last conservative in the Republican Party. Others say, uh, was it Strom Thurmond? I don't know who, I can't remember who retired first. I'm pretty sure Strom, uh, Sam Irvin retired before Strom Thurmond. Strom Thurmond was a Democrat, right? Um, yes, I get, he was a uh, Democrat. Dixiecrat, there you go. So, Comparatively speaking, if you look at, <clears throat> I might get in trouble here with some with some people who who are more versed in the history, but like you look at Sam Irvin Jr. and you look at Jesse Helms, two different parties, but they're both <laughs> very conservative, very conservative. And you take today's Republicans and today's Democrats, they they would look back at these guys and say, "Oh, those guys are racist. Those guys are radical uh, conservatives." You know, even though that's a contradiction of terms, those guys are, you know, those guys are just chauvinists and they're, they're bigots, whatever. But if they were in the Republican Party today and the Democrat parties today, if they if they were the if 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 what these parties looked like looked like them, this country would look absolutely completely different in a positive way. But as time is going on, it's it's been a race of who can purge conservatives quicker. The Democrats won. They purged conservatives completely from their party. Uh, Republicans are close. Once they purged the paleoconservatives, Mel Bradford, and these people, <clears throat> it's been a neocon Satan. And what are ne neoconservatives but but liberals in, in conservative drag? You know, you got your Ben Crenshaws, you got your uh, Irving Crystals, and your uh, What's his, Billy Crystal or Bill Crystal is his son. These are all a bunch of neo Trotskyites. You know, this, these are the people that uh, Sandlin would support, Michael O'Fallon, all these weird globalist, pluralist, you know, guys who are taking a stand for secular pluralism because that's the Christian thing to do. Like, these are the degenerates who have taken over the Republican Party. And they absolutely hate the idea of Christian nationalism. And if they hate Christian nationalism, you can only imagine how much they would hate something like Christian sectionalism or the idea that uh, of, of extreme Christian regionalism, local, Christian regionalism. My goodness, that would make their heads explode. And it's, it's like I told well, it's like I tweeted a while back. <laughs> you, you say stuff like Christian nationalism, but like oh, no king but Christ. You know, there's we're not allowed to rule over nations because Christ is the ruler over nations. I'm just like. Think about how stupid this sounds, because typically this comes from um, it's either coming from radical two kingdom Escondido types or it's coming from dispensationalists. Since I'm more familiar with the dispensationalist types, let me just go ahead and put them in their place for a second. You people believe that Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to reign for a thousand. years. Who do you think is reigning with him for those thousands of years? Christians. Who do you think is over the nations for that thousands of years for that thousand years? Christians, you believe in Christian nationalism. You just believe it's offset, and it it, it can't be uh, rightly affected until Jesus comes physically in the flesh. And we're saying no. That's not it. Jesus, before coming back, 
has has placed in his stead king regents over the nations. That's 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 the point. That's that's what Christian nationalism is. The whole idea isn't to globalize the world into one nation. That's some that's some antichrist stuff. That's some left behind stuff, man. That's that's what <laughs> I'm not even a dispensationalist. I'm like, that sounds nuts. Like, why would you want a one nation earth? You know, I don't know if you guys remember the early uh, I remember those early rapture movies where O N E One Nation Earth, you know. But that's like some that's some like scary that's scary like antichrist beast. Yeah, Mark of the Beast. Luciferian. And I'm on the. I'm I'm, I'm an off. Go ahead. It it starts to come down to like they're they're fulfilling their own prophecy, right? Like, yeah, exactly. They don't want this to happen so bad that they're going to make it happen. Exactly. (laughs) Well, so I'm going to I'm going to pipe in on this one. I two two things. There's uh. Uh, you, you're talking about the globalist mindset in Christians, and um, I had a friend of mine who uh, he's a he's an anarchist, right? And so he's no yeah. king but Christ and all that good nonsense. And then he turns around and says that um, if anybody's going to marry his daughter, they're they're going to have to assent to the fact that he's the patriarch. <laughs> and it's, it's like um buddy uh, do you not realize what you're doing there um but you know as far as as far as dispensationalism goes um you know i've i've talked to dispensationalists and i don't want to i don't want to whole cloth all dispensationalists into this camp into this camp um but you know, it's. I've talked to some dispensationalists who are seeing all of the things happening, and they're looking forward to the war over into Israel, where apparently yeah. all the all the people of Israel are going to be destroyed, and like they're happy about it. Yeah. Like, they're, they, they're want, they want. They want Russia because it's like the Gog and Magog thing, you know. They want Russia to come down and just destroy the Middle East. I'm like, well, so they like they're they're the biggest ones who will jump on you about anti-Semitism, right? Uh, yeah. They're the ones who will do, you know defend uh, uh, anything that Israel does for no no reason whatsoever. Uh, but they're absolutely looking forward to the time when the Jews are going to get slaughtered wholesale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. I, I think that's a little uh I think it's a little weird. That's crazy, man. right? You say I that's hate crazy. Jews, huh? Yeah, and all we you know, want I, all we want to do is all we want to do is convert them yes. and take Jerusalem back for you know for the kingdom of God, Deus Volt, you know, Crusade three point But but the but the idea that you know the Jews need to hurry and perish so Jesus can come back on his white horse. I'm like, you need to chill out, man. Like, yes, it, the the return is imminent. It is imminent. The signs of the times have been happening since the fall of the temple. All right, <laughs> and this is why I call myself an optimist. Two thousand years, any day now. I call myself an optimistic on mill, and not necessarily post mill, because I I think the struggle is baked in. To the church period you, you you're not gonna ha- i this is just me spitballing not really spitballing but just throwing this out there i don't believe things are going to necessarily get better physically speaking 
I think spiritually, in terms of sanctification, the church universal, the church uh, triumphant will be purified in such a way that we're able to take on greater struggles and not necessarily not necessarily defeat, but that we'd actually conquer in such a way uh, that we're willing to take on the criticism more than we have been in the past. You know, right now it's like you get you get the Kellerites, you, you got your Escondido people. They're like, no, we we can't we we can't have an influence on culture and politics because it'll jeopardize our witness. And it's like, uh, what are you talking about? Jeopardize our witness? Like okay. the whole point is that people would glorify the Father who is in heaven, and that yep. they would they would see His works. What better way to love your neighbor than to establish a law of the land that's based on, you know, the best moral precepts ever to have ever. Is, do you really think secular pluralism that's letting is somehow your light shine superior? Yeah. How can you say secular pluralism is more principled, more moral, more ethical than God's rule? Than the virtues and the, the cardinal virtues and the, the virtues of faith and the permeation of the moral law and how it affects uh, uh, what's the word you, for? you got you got to back up just a second I, I, I got to interrupt you on this one it the, the problem is that the, they, they don't have um, and, and I'm saying this because I, I just recently got uh, a, a, a grasp on what a virtue is. They don't have a conception of a virtue. It, to, right. to them, to them, uh, uh, Christian doctrine and God's law is a is a list of commands that you follow or don't follow. It's a list right. of rules. It's not yeah. a mode of being. Arbitrary, it's not a, arbitrary rules. Arbitrary. Yes, rules. arbitrary rules. They're, very they are not logical. They have a very Kantian view. Yes, that's what you're saying. And, yeah, and so that that's. Like this has been my big – I know I harp on it, but this has been my big thing with, with uh, uh, Precept, right? This has been my big thing with um, the whole James White crowd, and it's why I, I, I went over into Thomism um, because it, it, it's completely divorced from the temporal realm. There's no connection between this, this moral truth – as such, and the way that you go about living your life, it's completely divorced. So it, it's in in a way, it's gnostic because they they've separated the spiritual from the oh, temporal. There's that and word again. I, I'm gonna keep hammering on it. So it, this, <laughs> well, but okay, but I think I think that right now, well, he, hold on, I think, you gotta you gotta you gotta define what you mean by gnostic because now that term's getting thrown around by people like. Doc Sandlin, you know, he's accusing Stephen Wolf of it's so funny how they project. These people project the thing that they're doing is what they say other people are doing. So he accuses Stephen Wolf of being a Gnostic. But in reality, it's as you say, these people are the ones who are Gnostic. They have this arbitrary sense of duty, uh, a deontological duty that these laws don't actually matter. It's all arbitrary. It's it's voluntarism right. versus intellectualism. You know, God, everything is arbitrary. Go ahead. Okay, so I, and and this kind of gets into the eschatological part of it. 
right? And so I, 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 I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I, I, I'm taking the long view on this, right? Uh, and so the the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, 70 years has been this revitalization of functional Gnosticism in, you know, four or five different forums. Uh, you know, we, we did a long uh, podcast with some other creators about transhumanism and how that ultimately gets back to, you know, Gnosticism in some way. Um, but the entire modern conception of reality is very Gnostic because of this separation between the uh, the spiritual and the temporal, where, like you're saying, these laws are completely arbitrary. There's no uh, there's no real meaning in them as such. They only have meaning in that they were given by God. That's it. There's there's no other purpose in them. Um, and so I think that right now, you know, we'll probably be dealing with this for another hundred years or so. Uh, but right now is the testing ground, the ultimate testing ground of Gnosticism. Uh, it's 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 the culmination of of all of the evils that Gnosticism has been trying to advocate for for the you know since its conception back in the first century and uh, in, in the second century and now it's coming to a point where the Gnostics have all the real authority um, you know during the Middle Ages the church actually went through and uh, in some cases they went overkill on it but they actually stopped the Gnostics from having any kind of real power. But with the Protestant Reformation, um, and, and I'm speaking as a Protestant here, but with the Protestant Reformation, that gave voice, that that gave a voice to people who otherwise would have been stopped by the Catholic Church from spreading heresy. And now those heresies have roots in certain areas. Um, if if the Roman Catholic Church had the iron fist that they had, there would be no Mormonism. Because Mormon the, all, Joseph Smith would have been burdened at the stake, right? It it just he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have gotten anywhere. He 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 violated the doctrine of the Trinity. He would have been burned at the stake. Um, now you know we're all appalled at that now, but Mormonism is a thing now, and you have people who blaspheme the nature of God, and they're not stopped. Uh, there's no check on them. They can just they move you know, a couple thousand miles and now they can do whatever they want to do. So um, I think right now is the ultimate testing ground for Gnosticism. I, I think God's killing it. Um, it uh, uh, I think it's going to be a slow death in, in terms of how we perceive time. Um, but I don't think it's going to last much longer. Uh, philosophically, ideologically, practically, tangibly, it's getting its ass kicked right now. Good. I hope you're right. So I, 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 I just went like way further than I was. I was even thinking in this conversation. <laughs> I'm, I'm still over here on like ADIQ drug brain mode. Y'all are talking about the necessary preconditions and stuff. <laughs> um. <laughs> well, that's what you get into long form podcasts like this. But um. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but this is why I'm post mill, right? Because I, I think that you, you need these struggles to overcome error. And so with with the error that's been so prevalent during the, our day, and we are going to have to learn the lessons from this era, uh, we're going to have to learn the lessons of modernity. 
and carry those lessons forward, teach our children rightly on how to view these things and how to combat these things. We're going to be preparing the next generation to not only be resistant uh, to these things, but to learn how to fight them effectively. Uh, and so that that is a positive temporal change that's happening. That's the kingdom of God bursting down the gates of hell because these, these gates can't stand. I mean, new atheism didn't even last a decade. Like I, I want everybody to really think about this for a minute because back in the early thousands, you know, the four horsemen of the uh, of atheism were coming out, and Sam Harris and uh, 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 Richard Dawkins and um, Lawrence Krauss and and uh, uh, what whatever that other guy's name is, the the journalist. You know, those guys were the big you know D Daniel Dennis, uh, Daniel Dennett. Um, you know, all these guys were where you know the big up-and-coming stars of rationalism and they were going to make atheism they're going to take atheism and develop a, a fundamental morality system out of their new atheism right it's going to be uh, a a critique and, and an antithesis to christianity but still provide a moral framework and then when they got in their little circles less than five years after they, they this whole four horsemen meme kicked off um, they, they, they came down to the point of, uh, okay, so you have two fundamental conclusions if you are a new atheist. It's solipsism, hard solipsism, where you have no perception outside of your own brain, or biological determinism. Yeah. That's, your two, that's your two logical conclusions to new atheism. And it destroyed the movement because the whole movement was based around supposed free will and, you know, rational love and all this other good nonsense. Didn't, Sam, didn't Sam Harris? Didn't Sam Harris pretty much destroy the free will thing? He's a he's a determinist. Yes. Well, he was he was the he was the big ad advocate for biological determinism. Yeah. Right. It he he's uh, it was him. Um, which if if I remember correctly, he got his his whole thing from Sagan. Um, yeah. Sagan and a lot of the the sci-fi writers uh, the, and philosophers during the the eighties the set the seventies eighties and the nineties were writing about um, you know, this whole concept of the body is the machine and the mind is the programming uh, mm -hmm. so hardware software kind of thing and so with uh, Sam Harris takes that approach as a neuroscientist like I, I know people. Don't want to think about this, but that makes him really terrible at his job because he doesn't understand the thing that he's working with. He can look at yeah. the data and misinterpret the data um, yep. because he has a very terrible fundamental worldview. But um, everything we're learning about uh, the brain uh, functions as a as a quantum uh, a quantum field, which means that. Oh my gosh! I hate that it, word, quantum. Uh, I, I know you hate it, but that's effectively what it is. And so it actually – your brain actually breaks physics. It shouldn't be able to process things the way that it, it can process things. And so it's it's nowhere near a computer. It, you're not you're – not, there's no comparison between right. you, your, your hard drive and your computer and the way that your brain operates. Exactly. Did you see that article I sent uh, that I posted the yeah. other day? Yeah, I, I did that's, see that. That that right there, That yeah, I mean it, uh, your brain does not process information and is not a computer. 
That's from Aeon Essays. It's a right, and so the 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 hard materialistic naturalistic sciences that they're that they're using to to examine the brain are telling them that naturalism and materialism don't explain the brain. Yeah, you you can't get that from a naturalistic or a materialistic process. You you can't. That's and why, all, that's all the. In it. Well, it just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish this point and then I'll, and I'll let you go. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it was it's the new atheism didn't last a decade because it destroyed itself because it's an untenable system. Mm-hmm. And so you can't you can't sit up there and talk about free will and how everybody needs freedom and everybody needs liberty and how everybody you know everything's just a matter of perception uh, and then talk about biological determinism, which is which is Sam Harris's whole thing. He's a hypocrite. He believes that people ought to have the freedom to do what they want, but he also believes that whatever they do is is a direct result of their biology. You, you can't have that. It's an untenable system. And so their attempt to overthrow Christianity actually ended in them self-destructing. That's This is what's going to happen with the Gnostic and the transhumanists. And they're going to do some things that they want to do, right? They're going to, you know, people are going to have augmentations and they're going to, they're going to get their AI to do some things that they want it to do, but it's never going to be what they want it to be. Their, esch- their eschatology is completely out of, out of left field. It's jumped the shark. Um, and so they're going to end up being defeated by their own stupidity. Um, and so that, that's why I'm post-mill. Because I, I, it, you're, you're watching it happen in real time. Yeah. Uh so I guess to bring it back to the actual podcast, um, what like specific, <laughs> no, 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 seriously, seriously, uh, specifically in what we're doing right here, how do you see us playing a role in the future of this podcast to actually help advance what we want to advance? Well, I, I think it's going to start with the ideas and and how do we understand things from our our respective regions and how do we deal with uh, the situations we're in, right? So one of the things I want to get into this year is getting into uh, some of the laws that are in my state that have been used to bludgeon Mississippians. Uh, and so I, I kind of want to couple that that topic, that those those aspects of of law with going over books like I'll Take My Stand, which is you know, 12 different writers who are all Southerns who are talking about and describing the ideals of the South and then try to make a link between what's a good way, not only not only what's an, what's an opposing law or what's an opposing policy to have about this specific topic, but how do we implement it? What's the practical ways to implement it? And so I, I, I kind of want to fuse what we're reading to to real life tangible things, and and kind of uh, a lot of this is going to be um, some of this is going to be uh, kind of kind of brainstorming about it, right? So these will be public brainstorming sessions about how do we deal with this topic uh, and getting that bounce back and getting that feedback. Um, that that's that's how I kind of envision this going. Um, 
and and the stuff we've been talking about, I, I know a lot of that sounds like um, it's completely divorced from reality, but it it's very true that your the way that your mind is is oriented affects how you go about doing things. And so if you're if you're not in the right headspace, you'll never you'll never get in the right never get where you want to be ever because you'll you'll defeat yourself every time. So this is a this is a, a podcast really about getting in the right headspace. It's it's been about that from the beginning. Uh, when we started about getting your family in order, right? Being a good father, being a good husband, uh, running your house running your house properly, um, having a good view of what society ought to be. Those those are just getting yourself in the right headspace. And then now that you have a halfway decent headspace. Where do we go from now? Where are the practical steps that we take? So that that's kind of going to be my focus this year. Is going to be on that. Amazing. <laughs> All right. I had to pull, put that Jesse Lee Peterson in there. Amazing. Ugh. I just wish Ugh. he quit being a heretic. Yeah, that, yeah, that is true. But he's okay. such a great meme. Beta. Didn't he turn gay? Wasn't he having like a gay affair with like <laughs> or something? No. I he's been accused of that. I don't know. I thought you're all the ones that told me that. <laughs> uh, I've not told you that. Anyways, uh, Travis, what what about you, man? What's your perception this year? Uh perce- I mean, I kind of went into it a little bit earlier, you know, I'm just wanting to I mean, I, I'm ready to like actually get this thing kicked off for this year, you know. Uh, when we kind of took a two month hiatus and kind of need to get back into the swing of things. Yep. Um, I mean, I would like to do a lot more like Dabney readings, you know, like pull some. Like I've got this one. It's not Dabney. It's Basil Manley, which was a contemporary of Dabney. Um, I want to I want to bring out a lot of their like theological discourses that were completely absent today. You know, okay. I mean, I, th- th- these people are just absolutely rich in theology, you know, but we hear nothing about them. You know, we, we've probably said this ad nauseum right now, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to bring these guys to the forefront because they, they, they for us, they're going to frame the way that we actually think and. For instance, going through Dabney on Fire, there there was nothing like shocking or groundbreaking in there. It's stuff that we already knew, but the way he puts it, I'm like, yeah, that that's that makes a lot more sense. He he enunciates things in a way that I couldn't enunciate it. Um, and a lot of what he he's talking about was the foundation for the reason that I already believed it. You know, so it's digging to the foundations. And seeing where where the bare bones is at, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Chad Brown, yeah, man. Yeah, boy. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. No, is, is there anything else anybody wants to talk about? I mean, I, I don't really know. You know, I've I've tried to give it a lot of thought. Like I I know you know the small minor things. I want to do a new intro to make it sound a little bit better. I want I want a new outro. I want, I want all these 
these accoutrements, but I don't, I don't know where I want to be, where where I want to see. I see the podcast being at the end of the year because last year, I mean, yeah, we kind of accomplished one of the goals of, you know, at least getting forty some odd podcasts out there, but at the same time, like, I don't, I don't really know where this can go, you know. Um, I mean, I can give a generic answer that I want to see it to go to the moon and back, but that doesn't. I mean, what does that even mean? You know what I mean? That's really a non-answer, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't want to give a non-answer. I, I want, I, I want like... I, you know what I like to see? Sorry, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. I didn't have... I was just rambling anyways. I want to be able to come out and use my, my daggone real name. I want to be able to come out and not necessarily... I want to come out and be, be anti-fragile. You know, uh, I don't remember who I was talking to. Might have been you guys. We were talking about the difference between being anti-fragile and resilient. Resilient is just being uh, not able to, just being uncounselable. That's 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 resilience. Anti-fragile is when those things that would be used against you to cancel you are the things that end up actually making you stronger. That's anti-fragile. There's mm. a difference. See, it's a subtle difference if you're not not paying close enough attention. But resilience is just like, you know, I've logged off, I'm, I've gotten off the grid, I moved to Montana, I've got a I've got a ranch, you know, I don't get on the internet anymore. I still believe these things, but no one's going to cancel me now because I've got I'm growing my own tomatoes and got my own chickens. You know, that's resilience. Anti-fragile is Doug Wilson. The more right. people attack him, the more people. It's like. The more people attack them, it's like putting coal into a steam engine train. You know what I'm saying? Like you're you're not actually helping. <laughs> you're not actually hurting him. You're actually helping him. You know what right. I mean? That's that's where I, that's it'd be it's something to pray about uh, for sure. You know, we could get the get this bot not necessarily just this podcast, but like a broader movement and on the a broader movement to. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Revive, I guess you could say. Uh, a, a new spirit among Southern people. Because uh, think about it, dude. What, what have Southerners used to be? Southern Southerners used to epitomize the cons, like what the conservative remnant of this nation. Like I said a while back, that yeah, America has a classical liberal founding. But the further south you get from New England, it's almost like the people down here were like, you know, this way of life is better than the, the stuff up there. Like, it's more laid back. It's more uh, aristocratic. You know, what you do in society proves who you are kind of thing. It's not about how much money you have. It's, it's about your character. That, that used to be what defined southerners was your character now i get it you, you got this the scotch irish cracker culture thing going on down here you know don't look at me the wrong way or we're going to go out the street and duel like that stupid crap uh but the same but down here in the south they used people used to really take pride in their faith their faith was very public dude i remember growing up this wasn't that long ago man after church we'd go to burger king i don't know don't judge or, or not just after church just every time we had a family meal it didn't matter if it was burger king 
if it was Longhorn Steakhouse or the local barbecue restaurant, we held hands, we said the prayer, we said grace out loud. We were very Catholic, you know, it was blessed our Lord for these are gifts. The whole long, loud prayer, but it wasn't boastful. It wasn't like we were trying to get accolades from everybody. Because guess what? We lived in a Southern Christian culture. You weren't trying to get a pat on the back for everybody because everybody proclaimed to be Christian. Now it's like you close your eyes and bow your head and you take your hat off to pray before you kneel and you're kind of like looking around like people are like, people actually have a problem with me doing this. I'm not even praying out loud. You know, it's like we've so lost our way down here. We bought into the libertarian mindset. I just want to be left alone, man. I just want to have my man cave and uh, watch football, bro. I don't know why that's such a bad thing. Why do liberals have to raise my taxes? It's like, you really think that, that that's all that's to the Christian life is just your entertainment and your gratification. What I find is either these are the same people who have this doomsday mindset. It's like, well, it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway, man. Might as well enjoy ourselves. I work with a guy. He's in facility maintenance. This is what he, this is his, his thing. He, he runs, he gets up every morning, 5 a.m. or something like that, 4.30, runs several miles, comes into work, he's quiet, he does what he's supposed to do. If you get on the topic, if you get, there's two things that he loves to talk about. Fishing, football, fishing and football on one side, you know, his, his recreational activities, barbecue and going out on the lake. He's your typical bro country dude. Probably has every Jason Aldean CD. But on the other side, it's like, well, you know things are supposed to get worse, right, man? You know, the end is coming. You know, uh, we've got you got Russia over here trying to start World War III. You know, Israel's going to be destroyed here soon, man. The rapture's coming. It's like these people have so, have been so mesmerized by the new millenarian cultists that defeat in the interim is 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 it's already it's it's that's what they want that's what they believe they don't believe in fighting why would why would I pull my kids out of public school man like it's 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 all for not bro you know when they're eighteen they're out on their own anyway why would I care it's like the nuclear family educate them yeah <laughs> well if you go back far enough too it's like it was bad enough that they they limited family to the nuclear family, mom, dad, and the children. It used to be it used to be family was family, man. You had the primogeniture inherited most of the property, most of the real property, and he was to be dependent upon to take care of the parents. The other siblings, you know, they got some some of this and that, but it was the primogeniture. It's historically proven the oldest child usually has the highest IQ. Uh, they're usually the most successful. So that's why the primogeniture would be trusted with, with the real property and they'd be entrusted with the lives of their parents into old age. And you had extended families, you had patriarchs. Like, like I hope someday that when I die, I die like Doug Wilson's dad died with my children, my grandchildren, my great grandchildren surrounding me singing psalms to me and i just fade away you know i heard that was something now, like incest by some people well now it's like it's like oh man mom and dad are old dad keeps pissing himself you know like he's incontinent 
and I'm just gonna stick them in a nursing home. Bro. Like we don't have any. That's the thing. Like my, I love my parents, but they didn't leave me a legacy or any kind of inheritance to take care of them. And my brother's dead. He just he just died not long ago, so he can't take care of them. And he was the smart. He was the one making six figures a year, every year. My sister sure as hell can't take care of him. You know, she's on her second husband now. You know, and that's not going to happen. So who's it left to? It's going to be left to, it's going to be left to both of us, me and her. But come on, what did my parents do? They bought into the boomer mindset. It's, it's the nuclear family is all that matters. And by nuclear family, I mean me. And once my children turn 18, they're out on their own. After they're out on their own, that they're out on their own. I'm going to rely on my 401k and my social security to take care of me. Well, guess what? The corporations that were that your 401k was invested in squandered all your money. Guess what? The dollar ain't worth crap anymore, and you're on a fixed income. So what am I supposed to do? I'm gonna have to stick you into a nursing home because I can't take care of you. I don't have any. I don't have any investments out that far. You know, I'm trying to set my kids up so they can take care of me because I know there's not going to be a social security. I know there's not going to be a 401k. I have several IRAs, man. I have investments, broad investments everywhere. And I'm hoping that by the time I'm where I can't work. And that's another thing. I'm not retiring quote unquote, when I'm 60, by, hey, by the time I'm old enough to retire, they'll probably have the age move up to 80. I'm not going to retire. I'm going to work until I can't physically work anymore. And my wife is going to be a homemaker until she can't physically be a homemaker anymore. She's going to help my daughter's-in-law. She's going to help my daughter. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not going to be this, oh, here we are. We've reached 60, whatever. We're going to go buy some, uh, we're going to sell all our property, not give our kids any of the money, and then go move to Florida. You know what I'm saying? Like, nobody cares about family anymore. And I want to, in the South, in the South, actually, in America, family used to actually mean something. You know what I'm saying? Like that's all the ethno, all the ethnic slums and all the major cities. They used to be divided, you know, by ethnicity. You had the Poles living on this block. You had the Irish living on this block. You had, you know, you had the Chinese living on this block. Families got together. But guess who's the only people doing that really now is in New York, and it's the Jews. You know, they have like the Jewish block. You know, and these families get together. They take care of each other. They go to temple together. They they are with each other their entire lives. What have what have what has everybody else done? They've bought into the consumer mindset. I'm gonna get me in mine, you know, and I'm just gonna enjoy myself. I'm gonna fulfill. I'm gonna be gratified and not care about the future. That just utterly pisses me off, man. But that that's that's not what the South is. That's not the South that my grandfather talked to me about. That's not the South that his great his grandfather talked to him about, but it's the South that I live in. It's the South that I never see my neighbors. Now, the neighbors who live up above me, dude, they're constantly bringing us. Listen, before my wife had this child, our most recent child, our neighbors were bringing us barbecue. He would smoke barbecue and have a bunch left over, and he'd bring us barbecue and homemade sauce. And just randomly, he'd bring... Yeah, he'd bring us tomatoes and chilies and, and peppers. And I'm just like, dude, this is what this this is what neighbors do. He knows I'm working all the time. 
And he knows my philosophy about food. Like I, I hate grocery stores because they're so freaking expensive and nothing is locally sourced. And this dude's constantly bringing me pork, pulled pork, brisket, produce from his own garden all throughout the year. And then when we had this child, two weeks straight, two weeks straight, they're bringing us food. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, that's community. Yep. But like, I, I look around, I even at my own church, man, it's everything. Everybody is so atomized, you know, and you know, even ba- Baptists try to, t- look, I was Baptist for most of my life. Baptists try to be like, well, that's not us. We're, we're community. It's like, no, the, no, no. Every Baptist church I've been a part of, the only time, and it's not just Baptist, but the only time anyone's ever been interested in having a community, quote unquote, is when they can take pictures of it and post it to Facebook. That's when community matters. That's when family matters. Yeah, I'll call out my own mom on social or on this podcast. It's just the same thing. If it can't be put on social media, it's not a sacrifice worth making. Do we make sacrifices all the time for our kids? We never post about it. I do stuff all the time for my my wife. She doesn't get on Facebook and say, I just want to say thank you to my husband who did this for me. I don't do that crap either for my wife. She 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 does all sorts of stuff for me. But this is what this is what we've been reduced to is is a sort of consumer narcissism. My child is is over two weeks old. You know how many times my mom has seen her? Twice. My dad, once. Once. Why is that? I guess as good as mine. But guess what? When they come around, they waste no opportunity. They're going to take pictures, post it on Facebook. <laughs> They're going to post it on on uh, Instagram or whatever. And it drives me nuts. It's like, be be part of your kids and your grandkids' lives. It's not just my, my parents. My, my cousin, his mom and dad do this too. Uh, I have several friends who, who, who complain. It's like, man, I'm working... 12, 14, 16 hour days, my mom and dad are retired. My wife, you know, she's at home with the kids all the time. We get no help. And my parents do, they're just like hanging out watching TV all day. They never come around. I'm like, hey, amen. Hey, I know I know the feels, bro. I'm right there with you. Same thing with church. You know, we have to we have to schedule men's outings and women's meetings and stuff like that because there's no organic fellowship in our churches across the board now i know the more classically two kingdom minded guys are going to be like well that's not the responsibility of the church that's just community in general uh, you know what i somewhat agree my church is over 30 minutes away so i would do better probably just to get together with my, my neighbors and my more local friends you know but still yeah it's like what's the deal why why is it why is there no community this makes I haven't read it yet. Robert Nisbet's book Quest for Community. Apparently, he gets into all of this and he's very prophetic about what what's what's come to to pass today. But I hate the fact that we can't have community. It pisses me off. Well, um, so so I need to push back on on a couple of your points right there. Everything you were saying was good, and I agree with it. Uh, but okay, for instance, you said you know these things don't happen organically. Well, one of the reasons they don't happen organically is because we don't live close to one another. Uh, I was instance, about to say that I, too. Yeah, yeah. For instance, my church, you know, I, I, I'm I'm fairly close to my church. I'm ten minutes away, and um, and, but other people are thirty minutes away. A few few families drive like an hour plus to get there. Uh, that's not common. Typically, it's within like ten to twenty minute range, but. 
you know, we, we have to schedule these things because we're not passing each other on a daily basis because there's so many flipping people down here. Like whenever my, the church I was raised in, we would see these people constantly throughout the week because we all lived around one another. I mean, granted, it's still, you know, a mile drive up the road to go see them because we're out in the middle of the woods. But I, I, I think that scheduling stuff can be organic. And, and what I mean by that is like, okay, so on this day, we're going to plan a men's outing. We're going to go and, you know, so make sure you schedule off work, all that good stuff. And, and we're just going to get together and see what happens, you know, or we're, we're planning a church, a men's hike or something like that. Um, and so originally what my church was doing was these small groups and that just felt more forced. Like, you know, someone would host a group at their house and we'd, uh, for instance, one of the uh, groups that I was in, we had a, uh, a um a mystery game or whatever it was called it's it's one of those you know role-playing art games i'll flip what's it called um murder mystery whatever anyways everybody has a part to play that kind of thing and those were fun but they weren't organic like it was kind of like forcing people to to like interact with one another but now i mean we have you know, men's hikes, we have men's groups. Um, for instance, um, a bunch of us went up to uh, Deep South Founders Conference the other weekend, and um, we, we saw your best friend preach. Um, <laughs> and, and that was just a good time to actually get together in fellowship. So I think our organic interactions is going to look a lot different than 1920s Southern Alabama interactions would look, you know, where guys would you know, for instance, a um, big sharecropping area is uh, a lot of people would go out and, or the men would would go out and, you know, pick up sweet potatoes and clear this dude's field. You know, and they would cycle weekends to do that. That was their organic meeting time. Well, we don't do that today. Um, that was another point, but I completely lost it. Well, you know, with something like that, um, you know, having a community, the church is supposed to be a community. Um, it's supposed to be a family. And so I, I, I think, you know, we, we're, we're getting together at my church. We're going to buy a, um, a cow, get it slaughtered and it, from a local farm, and, and we're going to distribute the meat in between everybody that's, you know, paying into it, right? So, you know, really how you become a community is by intertwining your life with one another you know, just doing things together on a consistent basis. Um, you know, for, for my church, I started a, you know, a little book reading club thing. Um, and we're reading through masculine Christianity right now. And we're talking about it. We're dealing with, there are times, um, we started with a different book and there are times when we got to the, to the meeting and we didn't talk about the book because one of the guys there was having trouble with something. And, we needed to talk about that. And so the, the time when technically we were going to sit down and talk about the book, we didn't talk about the book. We talked about this guy's, you know, uh, personal thing that he needed guidance on, or he needed counsel on, or, um, you know, do, do you feel like this happens and you fail in this way? And everybody's got to speak to that, has a chance to speak to that. Um, and, and that's really what, you know, this kind of thing is about. Right, you're getting into one another's lives. You're 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 intermingling yourself with other people, and as you talk and as you interact and as you communicate and pray with one another and 
and sing together. I mean, that that kind of a bond happens between you. Uh, really to have the kind of community that we talk about that we want, you got to have proximity. And that's the problem that we run in today uh, where we just don't have proximity with one another. We're, we're 30, 40 minutes away, and it's hard to have an active relationship with somebody when you're 40 minutes away because at that point you're you're at the I got to call you on the phone kind of a deal and not let me talk to you face to face. Uh, and in our in our culture of instant messaging and texting, we think, oh, it's not a big deal. Yeah, you can text people, um, but there's a there's a whole element that you lose when you're not physically in the same presence as the other person you're interacting with. Um, that you lose that, right? You can't cheapen the the actual physical presence into oh, I'm just going to text you about something or we're going to talk about this on the side. There's a there's a there's a um, a unifying element of actually physically being present in the same room and talking about things that you have to have to have a real community. Um, and so, kind of, kind of bringing this full circle to what you know you were talking about, Travis and and Neil. Um, you know, my my little jab at cross politic there about them calling them calling it incest when you. You know, you love that your children look like you. Um, is is really the problem that we've got because the the cross politic guys will abstract their community to the level of oh you can just text them oh you can just call them. When texting and calling is not a replacement for community, texting and calling is a helpful tool for your community, but it can't replace it. And we're, 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 it's, it's such a, we're, we're spoiled in the sense that we can just text one another and we can talk over hundreds of thousands of miles of distance over the internet. And we don't think about the idea of not being present with someone. And we, we feel like we're present with people when we're really sitting alone in our room, hundreds of miles away. And it's not mm -hmm. the same. Uh, you know, Neil, when I used to come over to your house when we were living in the same area, that was completely different than we were just chatting on the phone or, you know, texting one another, or, you know, talking over social media. Um, you know, Travis, the times when we, we've met up and, and hung out, that's been completely different than us interacting over Telegram or us texting or calling. Um, there's a whole different element that comes into play then. And, and having that presence is really what you need for community. Um, and so that proximity is really, really important. And, and we've had, what, three podcasts on that, Travis, uh, about the makeup of the community and, and, and how that really has to intertwine with um, uh, you know, practical elements of building something up. And we've even talked about buying land, like a large portion of land and starting our own thing, right? Because you, you yeah, uh, well, I mean, you know that that gets a bad rap, but there's there's some validity to doing that. There's some real uh, to have that kind of buy-in for someone that they'll quit their job and they'll move wherever that place is to be physically present with you, to build a community from from scratch. 
that's a meaningful thing. And as much as we've talked about it, uh, we haven't done it just because we're invested in our local communities and we're trying to build our local communities. And so we haven't torn away from what we're doing. But if you have that kind of buy-in from people, uh, even if it's local, right, from your church, if you get a bunch of people from your church start living in the same area, and now you do pass, you know, you, you do pass Jimmy when you leave the house for work in the morning, right? And your and your wives are right next to one another, or you know, across the street or down the road, and y'all can just go to the park together, like that kind of togetherness is what builds community. Um, and so, so our goal should be to have that togetherness, to have that, that physical presence with one another. Kind of a tangent. I, mean, I apologize guys, but I mean, yeah, that, that, that would mean, in all honesty, that would be awesome. Like one centralized, you know, kind of like the, the Amish do. Um, I, I just, yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if Americans are, are willing to, give up their property in order to live in a community like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if they're, they're ready for communal property yet. But that's why we're losing everything, though. That is right? true. So it, it's, it's you know, I'm a, I, I guess kind of coming back into what Neil was talking about, I, I want to change that attitude. I want to change this attitude that your land is just something you can get rid of. Right? Your land is something that, oh, well, it's just somewhere I live for a few years. Mm -hmm. Right? You know, uh, you know, kind of a uh, uh, anecdote, but you know, my kids, you know, my oldest grew up in a house, and then we moved to a different house, and he remembers that change, and he had to reacclimate to this new house, right? There's all kinds of anxiety because mm -hmm. he was a little boy, and so that change really messed him up because he doesn't do well with change. And so we had to reacclimate him to this new house. And then we went to a third house because that house was in a subdivision and it had plumbing problems, you know, all the things that you're going to, you're going to run into. So we went to this next house and this next house was completely different, different floor plan, different view, different neighborhood, everything. And, uh, you know, when, when, when he talks about, Oh, I like this house, you know, he's pointing to a house that he had to acclimate to. And now that house became his favorite house. So that house is the standard that he goes off if he likes a house or not, right? How much does it remind him of that? Um, but you, you know, previously you had you had families who had the same house for six generations, and they didn't have that kind of anxiety that they had to deal with because they had their house, right? And and the extended family, of course, you had to build new houses because, you, you know, you're going to have three or four different families, five, six different families coming out of the same family. You know, some of them might move away, but most of them are going to stay in the same area. So everybody knows this house. Everybody really wants this main house, but it's going to go to one person that the, that the daddy's going to bequeath it to him when he dies. Right. You know, all those things are coming to play, but this is still your stomping grounds. Right. So it's not just it's not just your your house it's your also your your local area um this was part of the beauty of me moving back down to mississippi is i remember physically walking down some of the streets in my area and you don't realize how much you miss that when you leave right that's that's one of those things that it it sounds kind of trite 
in the modernist perspective, but that that really is a huge. Uh, um, that was a huge thing for me moving back down here. I miss the smell of the pine trees in Mississippi. You know, when I, when I drive down and I, I had the windows up from, you know, I was driving down from North Carolina and I had the windows up. And when I got back into Mississippi, rolled the windows down, I could smell the pine trees. I didn't even know that I missed it because it was just something that was there that I never thought about before. Uh, but North Carolina didn't have the same kind of pine trees and you didn't have that real thick, heavy smell of the sap in the air. But when I got oh, yeah. back down here and I and I remember that smell when I was a little boy going through the woods and and now that I come home it's man it smells like home right I remember these streets this feels like home like that's what oh, we yeah. need to be giving to our family that's what we need to be giving to our community right it's it's not something that you can just give away you can't replace that that familiarity the sense the smells the 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 familiarity with your you can't just replace that you can't just repurchase that and when you give away the land that's been given to your people you lose that yeah and 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 we have to fight against the mindset of uh these these families fellow southerners selling their their birthright away for some easy coin and robbing yeah. their children of that of that familiarity with their own people you know, it wouldn't be so bad if the developers they were selling to were local and had a lo and had a vision for the local. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what? Instead of turning this into some ugly ass cookie cutter neighborhood <clears throat> with a bunch of the same houses on quarter acre lot for a bunch of transplants to move here and turn this to a bedroom community like they've done to the eastern end of my county. How about I turn this into a, I don't know, a nature reserve, or I sell this farm to a, a family or to a graduate from NC State who's graduating with an agricultural degree and he wants his own farm, but he doesn't, you know, now he's got this, you know, he's mounted with debt. What, what can I do to get him on this land to cultivate this land? We don't have any of that. We don't have local developers because what do people do when they become a developer? They usually just leave and go somewhere else and ruin other places. But let me tell you a sad story. <clears throat> my in-law, my, my uh, grandmother-in-law, she's, she's not, you know, she's probably going to pass away in the next year or so. Grandfather-in-law just passed away. Over 60 acres of land. I think it's like 62 acres. This has dwindled down from probably about 400 acres of land over the past two generations. Same thing. People selling off their birthright to make some coin or whatever and have nothing to show for it in the back end. There's about 62 acres left. My father-in-law passed away, but the deal was once they died, the land was supposed to be split 50-50 between my father-in-law and his sister. Father-in-law passes away, so that means my wife and her sister are supposed to get his half. Well, no. So this is actually what's going to end up happening, we think. We have a pretty good idea that this is going to happen. And it's so, it's so unfair and it's so, it's, it's totally fa falls in line with what we're talking about because my wife's aunt, they're part of the whole millenarian mindset. Nothing matters. Let's just make some coin and live the rest of our life, you know, as hedonists, and, you know, who love Jesus, by the way, and we're going to go to heaven. There, she's going to inherit all the property. And supposedly, it's supposed to be. We're, they're going to split the monetary value up 
between all the grandkids and her and her husband, right? So that's six grandkids and then hers. That's seven people. So they're going to sell all 62 acres and split this up seven different ways. Instead of just giving my wife and her sister their due, as originally planned when their father was alive, the property is all going to get sold probably to a developer because it's 62 acres of land. That's that's right up the alley. You know, that's that's what developers look for is 50 plus acres. They're going to sell that land and split the monetary value up seven different ways. Tell me that ain't the dumbest thing you've ever heard. And you know what they want to do? She wants to she wants to leave and move to the beach. And her other her her four kids, only one of them wants to stay behind. He's a loser. He lives in a camper on the property. A camper it was it was given to him. Okay. He it was a camper he didn't even buy. He's paying he's paying for the propane that goes into it and the and his grandmother's the one paying the power bill. And he's a loser. Graduated college, has a crappy local job, works for local government, making shillings. And he wants to stay behind. So I don't know. I mean, couldn't the they just sell the land to their? That's the thing. To, is they shouldn't have to. Sell, they shouldn't sell it. Well, I'm saying sell it, it to the to internally, like to the other family members. Well, one of the problems is you have to actually be able to afford it. So, so just take for instance, there's a parcel of land for me for sale. Now, I'm not related to anybody there, but I guarantee you they're selling it because of property taxes. When they could get a conservation easement, plug one of our other podcasts. Um, so, so they're having to Based. worry about the property taxes, and 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 now they're having to sell it. And I'm really hoping that some freaking developer doesn't come by and swoop it up, uh, because I'm I'm out of here if that happens. Um, but 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 you could sell people, it. You could owner finance it, right? Like it doesn't have to be like they go borrow all that money and give it to you directly and there's things you can do with family that you can't do with other people you'd never want to do deals with family though like i mean this is you know legals aside you don't want to do a deal with family that and if you own or finance i mean i'm just gonna let's let's just for for, for craps and giggles let's just pull up a calculator here all right so i'm, I'm gonna use the use the uh the land that i just looked at as a base point for it so you said it's 62 acres um let's just use fifteen thousand an acre right there's actually that ain't bad at all it's ninety three thousand dollars but still that's ninety three thousand dollars for raw land um when actually am i even right on that well here's the thing is we were broke originally we were originally supposed to get 15 acres plus the house that her grandmother lives in. See, the thing is, her aunt lives in a lot right beside her grandmother. And, and, and this, is, this is the messed up part. There are four historic homes on this land. Two of them are uh, uninhabitable. Right, they're, they're old, old, old houses. You've seen those houses. They kind of fall in. Nobody moves into them. The other two, her aunt lives in one. She's had no mortgage for the past 40 years. So she and it has nothing to show for it. Four kids they put through college. I guess you could say that, that that's something to show for it. And then her grand, my wife's grandmother's land, you know, has a pond. It goes straight back. 
and that's that. That that now, my sister in law's already got two acres, so she's already got two of the thirteen that she was supposed to be given. But her grandmother gave her two acres to build a house on, so she built this house on it. So she's got two acres. She ain't going nowhere. She plans on being there for a while. She's gonna have to be there for a while. Cause she built that house at the height of inflation. <laughs> so her house is like half the size of mine, but costs twice as much. Uh, <clears throat> so she's going to be there a while. But my wife and I wanted her grandmother's house and the pond in the back and the swimming pool on the side, which ironically enough, to make matters worse, the swimming pool isn't even part of the plot that the house is on. It's, it's stupid the way it was divided up, but, but what's going to happen? This is this is as far as we know, is that they're not even going to do the land split. They're going to sell the land that's left, and then split that up monetarily, which is the dumbest thing in the world you could do because capital gains tax alone is going to eat all that up. That's going to eat it up big time. If if they can, even, and, and here's the thing: it's it's 62 acres. You got to think 62 acres. That's not going to be sold to a, a farmer. You think it's going to be sold to a farmer? Hell no. That's going to be sold to Soul Division or Bill Gates. Yeah. Exactly. Well, all they're looking at right now is that big price tag that, that they're going to get out of it. So so I just redid my math, and that's coming out to right at uh, $850,000 for, for the entire thing. That's if if your land prices are comparable to our land prices. So, so you're looking at, you know, almost, you know, right, you know, close to the threshold of a million dollars for that. And I'm assuming that nobody in your family has a million dollars to put up or that they could even think about financing it. Cause about, about here's the other thing too, is the, is the farmland is the, the land <clears throat> that's not the house and the, the immediate yard, but the actual farmland that's being cultivated is being leased out to neighboring farms. And it's just enough to, to it's just enough to pay the property tax. So that's, a, that's another thing that's going to have a local impact because local farmers aren't going to have that land anymore. Right. The, the, fa the, the farmers that are using that land right now, that's going to go away. So that's, that's money out of their pockets. Right. I mean, that sounds like just, something you could you could talk to those farmers and get something worked out besides just selling it outright, like he, like you're talking. Yeah, like they could keep leasing it, and we could keep paying the property tax. That that and would be that, the best but, option, honestly. Even if they are doing the uh, the big old monocrop gay farms, uh, it's still better than a subdivision because I mean, at least yeah. with a subdivision, you're not paving roads, you're not packing down soil, you're not doing all that. I mean, you yeah. could you could write up a contract with those farmers to get something a little bit more intensive and then pay a little bit more out to you. Yeah. And then t take whatever your surplus is after you pay your, your taxes and then give that to, you know, whoever's selling the property for, you know, you know, um, you know, uh, owner finance it. it. And this is the thing, like, <clears throat> it, it's not just that they want to sell it off. It's that they just want to sell it off. Right. They, they want to get rid of it. It's like a it's like a appendage that is is they want to go get surgery and get it removed. Um, and, and they don't want to take the due diligence. At it like that. 
yeah, they don't want to do the due diligence to make sure that, you know, where it's going is a good place. They just assume, oh, well, I'm, I'm selling it. So what does it matter to me? Right. And it's a, yeah. a, a mindset completely divorced to the impact of the community that you're leaving. There's no responsibility. There's no, uh, uh, there's no sense of community at all. It's completely mercenary. Um, that's, well, that's, that's the theme throughout the entire County. The, the Eastern end of the County, we have a big city on the Eastern end and another County and we call it a bedroom community because the people that don't want to live in that neighboring County come and live in our County because the property tax is cheaper. But guess what? You had a whole bunch of farmers out there, a bunch of boomers and a bunch of quote unquote greatest generation types say, hmm, man, that's a lot of money. Yeah, man, I can retire now and I don't have to go to a nursing home. I can hire home health nurses. And yeah, that's what I think I'm going to do. I'm going to sell all that property to some developer. And that's what they've done. The whole eastern end of the county. I mean, there are a couple farms here and there, but they're like, you know, snobbish equestrian farms. They're not anything that actually produces anything of value. They're not produce farms. They're not hog farms. They're not cattle farms. They're stupid little equestrian ranches, probably owned by Yankee transplants, to be quite frank. They're probably not even local, local people. That's the eastern end of the county. And the western end of the county, is start, that's the same thing is starting to happen. Neighborhoods are replacing farms. Ugly neighborhoods at that. With with homes made out of out of uh, quick growth, cheap wood, you know, cheaply built homes, but that cost like a hundred times more. You know what I mean? <laughs> are, are we going to have an episode this year on how I hate modernist architecture and postmodernist architecture? We can, yeah. We'll talk. We'll read. We'll uh, we'll uh, get some Roger Scruton material in here and talk about <laughs> my 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 wife. Beauty. My wife groans every time we go into like a city area and I see some kind of modernist or brutalist architecture because incoming 15 minute rant about how terrible and ugly it is every time. That's basically, <laughs> that's basically, that's basically all our churches too, right? Like even, even some of these Anglican churches, I look, I'm like, what are you thinking? Like you hold, you want to hold to a tradition that, it's supposedly past. You want to have continuity with the past, but you get into this this era of of postmodernism, and your architecture is so kitsch, so ugly. There's no, there is no continuity. Like you, you shoe boxes with a steeple. That's that's not a church, man. That's not I a, call that's not a warehouse. building. I call them warehouse churches. And it's, remember the, I don't know if we talked about this before, but the shift in language where we used to call it sanctuaries, now we call it worship mm -hmm. center. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, man, we should probably wrap this up. I gotta go put the kids to bed. <laughs> we, we've been going good. off on about four different topics. That's good. This is fuel for the fire. This is stuff we can talk about, uh, talk about later. It's a great, great podcast for coming out the gate, though. You know, yeah. give, give them something to long to listen to because their ears have been dry for so long. Yeah. <laughs> They've been eagerly awaiting our next podcast. All three um, of our listeners. Heck yeah. yeah. yeah all of our <laughs> alts have been eagerly awaiting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. All yeah, right. You guys, so this... more, you guys need to get more active on Twitter, man. 
uh, and put put on your put on your subs or your bios that you're Dixie Polis uh, I, co-host. Brother, I, I struggle. I, I struggle with social media right now. Um, I I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. I just Twitter's I don't easy, wanna, bro. I don't want to fool with it. It's just like you the effort going. Do you know, what, what, I lo- you know what I love about Twitter? You know Tell what me I love what about, Twitter? about Twitter. I post in ghosts, bro. I don't argue with anybody. Are, are you are I, you I, homo I, for? I uh, huh? Are you are you homo for Elon Musk? What? <laughs> are you a homo for Elon Musk? Oh no, no. But he is the best. He, I mean, he's better than the idiots that were in charge before. But what I like to do is I'll, I'll find some controversial tweet, you know, I, and I just I rapid fire. I find a bunch of tweets. I say something on it, then I click mute and I move on. That way, I don't even get a notification. And I just, I just troll the heck out of people. And dude, I got like two hundred, I got like two hundred followers in like three weeks. <laughs> I'm, at, I'm at like seven hundred followers now. <laughs> I, I, I just want to be clear. You're the one that I was arguing with while you were talking. Just now. Right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's awesome. one of them. I have another. I have two accounts. So I'm trying to shift. I know people are probably like, what is he doing? I'm trying to shift people to the, my other account. I'm going to delete this one eventually. Okay. Fresh start. Fresh start. We got, then, uh, then, uh-huh. on the scale, we've got the, on the galaxy brain scale, is when you log in to both of your alts and you have an argument with yourself. I haven't I have done that done yet. That. I have said, he, I have said re- with reference to myself, he makes a good point. <laughs> oh man but yeah no you get on there and uh yeah, just post and ghost man you ain't gotta debate with nobody i don't debate with anybody i've had the privilege of being blocked by james white you know because i called him out what did you say to- pretty no, much called him an idiot I, I pretty much called him an idiot because he is I mean, it's look, look. He's either he's either incredibly stupid and not well read, which it might be the case. Okay, I don't know. Or, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or, or he's incredibly disingenuous and he's a liar and dishonest because the stuff that he says, quote unquote, Thomas to believe. Isn't oh what yes, believe. yes, dude. That yeah. that whole thing with him and Josh Summer. Drove me nuts. Now, I don't. I'm not a huge fan of Josh Summer either, especially with his recent idiosyncratic dumb take that oh, baptismal regeneration wasn't the consensus of the early church. Yes, it was. You retard. I mean, why do you think? Why do you think infant baptism even became a thing? Is because baptismal regeneration was the logical. That was the that was the thing that preceded it. That's why infant baptism became a thing. Anyway, my point was. My point is, why. Uh, Sandlin, Michael of Fallon, and now James Lindsay, who apparently is a better theologian than freaking Sandlin. He's an atheist. Like, all these guys are just incredibly, like I said, they're incredibly stupid, ignorant, and not well-read, or they're incredibly disingenuous, and they're fakes and frauds and liars. There is no in-between. There is no in-between. Like, if you know the context in which the confessions were written, None of the signatories, none of the divines were freaking Kyperian Vantillians. Okay, that that's that's a those are 
Kuiper was the beginning of modernism in the reform movement. Or maybe you can you say Bobbink is, really, because Bobbink had some trouble in the use. But before them, the, the people who wrote the confessions, man, they were by and large classical theists. They were by and large Thomistic in much of their views. Oh, they no. And, oh, no. Yeah. They're going to become Roman Catholics. What are you saying? Uh, yeah, this is what I'm saying. Oh, my gosh. It drives me nuts, man. Like, in the whole thing with, like, uh, Stephen Wolf, you know, oh, he's just cherry-picking from a, a small group of theologians. The dude quotes, like, every single major reform scholastic in the post-Reformation era. Like, you're going to tell me he's only... He's only articulating a small view. No, he's articulating the consensus of the re reform scholastics in the post-Reformation era on politics. Okay, okay, okay. Not, I, need, I need finish what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to interrupt. Okay, uh, finish what you're saying, and then I no, want to read ahead, that quote. Ahead. No, no, no. I, I'm going to go. I got to go down and grab my book, but I, I want to read the quote at the beginning of Christian nationalism. You know which quote I'm talking about. Finish what you're saying, Maybe. and I want to read that quote. I'm a loser. I have not finished the book yet. I barely made it through the introduction, and I went back to Isker's book to finish it. Uh, and then I started reading other stuff because I'm a loser. I'm a very slow reader. <laughs> but yeah, boys and girls, uh, my advice to you when it comes to reading, don't read an echo chamber. Don't be a presentist, chronological snob. Do what C.S. Lewis said to do. I and I think the ratio is one to one, but I honestly would say you should do it one to two. For every modern or contemporary work you read, you need to read two classical works because you're an idiot if you think that you can look back into the past and interpret the past through the lens with through modern lenses. That being said, what I'm doing right now is I'm reading Louis Marcos, Louis or Louis, Louis Marcos's book from Plato to Christ. And I'm reading The Republic by Plato. Okay? Anyway. All right, here, here we go. I'm going, to, I'm going to drop the quote. Christianity, as a religion, is entirely spiritual. <clears throat> Occupied solely with heavenly things. The country of the Christian is not of this world. He does his duty indeed but does it with profound indifference to the good or ill success of his cares. Provided he has nothing to reproach himself with, <clears throat> it matters little to him whether things go well or ill here on earth. If the state is prosperous, he hardly dares to share in the public happiness, for fear he may grow proud of his country's glory. If the state is languishing, he blesses the hand of God that is hard upon his people. If the power is abused by him who wields it, it is a scourge wherewith God punishes his children. There would be scruples about driving out the usurper. Public tranquility would have to be disturbed. Violence would have to be employed and blood spilt. All this accords ill with Christian meekness. And after all, in this veil of sorrows, what does it matter whether we are free men or serfs? The essential thing to get to heaven, and the essential thing is to get to heaven, 
and resignation is only an additional means of doing so. Christianity mm. preaches only servitude and dependence. Its spirit is so favorable to tyranny that it always profits by such a regime. True Christians are made to be slaves, and they know mm. it and do not much mind. This short life counts for too little in their eyes. Now, who do you think that quote is from? Yeah, Travis. I'm going to guess Aquinas. Just because that's who we're talking about here. Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And, that, and that's the view of modern Christians about the church and the, and the government. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. They they agree more with Rousseau than they do classic Christianity. Uh, post that link in the chat, or post that quote in the chat if you got it handy. Yeah, I, I, I can do that. Oh, okay. like it's it's got to be. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. reread it. So now he opens the book with that quote. That's that. I read that and I was like, "This book is something you need to read." And everybody yeah. who asks me about this book, I read that quote to them. They think somebody like you know uh, 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 Spurgeon said that, or they they think that um, they'll start naming a bunch of theologians. <laughs> and yeah. I mentioned that it's John Jacques Rousseau, and their face goes white. Yeah, that guy was trash. That guy was pure trash. Well, he was French, so. <laughs> now, now on on that note, let me read you one last quote. This is a tweet. And I'll let you guess. <laughs> I'll let you guess who this was from. <laughs> and you're gonna, you're, yeah, you're gonna probably laugh when you find out who it's from. Anyway, an observation on turf and just, which is Stephen Wolf, Christian nationalism. Part of the objective is to differentiate between what he sees as the classical Protestant position on Christian political theory and what might be called transformationalism. In the Reform 2K framework. Reform 2K, classical 2K. Transformationalism is wrong because it sees political involvement, involvement in the role of civil governance as a manifestation of power of the gospel in duties of the Great Commission. The R2Kers, radical, or wait. Oh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry, let me back that up. Part of the objective is to differentiate between what he sees as the classical Protestant position on Christian political theory and what might be called transformationalism. In the radical 2K framework, Escondido framework, transformationalism is wrong because it sees political involvement and the role of civil governance as a manifestation of power of the gospel and the duties of the Great Commission. The radical, the radical 2Kers, Escondido types, are right to disagree with this. However, on Wolf's view, what they miss is that civil government is not merely a product of the fall or the Noahic covenant, but is rather sourced in man's prelapsarian state. Thus, the purpose of the civil order is to point to and reflect the eternal city of God. The great difference between post-mill transformationalism, people like Joe Boot or Rush Dooney, and Wolf's city of God, reflectionism, quote-unquote, ordering society towards man's heavenly end 
is that the former sees political involvement as a manifestation of the Great Commission and the gospel, whereas Wolf sees political involvement as a manifestation of the creation mandate and man's return to his natural order due to the restoration of nature that comes via grace. Christian nationalism, as he, Wolf, defines it, is about the restoration of nature, as opposed to the blurring of God's two kingdoms into one. In other words, the sentiment, no king but Christ, is not technically correct because kingship is a divinely ordained role within the temporal kingdom. Christian kings are good because the civil order is good. Another implication of Wolf's model is that, that is important, is that it is unlike the universalism that comes out of even many who call themselves Christian nationalists. It does not, within the confines of its civil government theory, call for the world to bend to the knee of Christ. Bend the knee to Christ, I'm sorry. This may sound odd, but those who don't understand the prelapsarian character of his argument, this may sound odd to those who don't understand the prelapsarian character of his argument, but this is an implication of the above threat. Civil government is to be focused on the good ordering of particular political orders. Focus is on the common good of specific peoples of kin. <laughs> it is distinct from the world conquering kingdom of God and the role that the church has to play in that, in whatever eschatological sense is relevant to you. The point is that the political sphere is about defending the interests of temporary life and natural relations, not eternal and supernatural ones. It recognizes the metaphysical demands of a Trinitarian cosmos, but at the same time, it is structured around the needs and political tensions of peoples arranged together not on the basis of eternity, but temporality. <sighs> you know who posted that? Who? C.J. Engel. <laughs> uh, where's my mug at? He is act. I still got mine. Anyway, I just thought that I'd leave you guys on. A asking huh? where the mug is 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 just an excellent little little tidbit Inside there. Joke. Yeah, yeah. Is he on Twitter now? Yeah, he's on Twitter by his name by that name. Uh, you can get on. You can get on my Twitter. I I, I retweeted him. Which one? <laughs> the one I was arguing I'll, with I'll you just, on. Earth. I'll just okay. Hold on. He said, "Don't dox yourself, but tell me." <laughs> I got anyway, you, fam. Hey, you guys can continue talking if if you please. I'm, I'm I need to get upstairs and uh, put the, put the boys to bed. Okay, uh, yeah, um, I need to get off here. Also, same. Love um, you, bye. Hey, y'all! Thanks for listening in on our podcast. If you like what you hear, please share and comment wherever you're listening to it. And check out our Gab page at Dixie Polis Podcast. If you want to contact us, please send an email to DixiePolis at ProtonMail.com or send us a message on Gab. If you like the music we're playing, hang out a little while and let the song finish. It's Wayfaring Stranger by Southern Raised, and you can listen to them on YouTube or go to their website at SouthernRaisedBluegrass.com. God bless y'all.
just a ghost.